This is Covered Calls with Kevin Simpson, featuring expert insights and analysis from the industry's top investment professionals. If you'd like a deeper understanding of today's markets, this is the show for you. Welcome, everyone, to At Covered Calls, my podcast. I'm Kevin Simpson. For those of you turning in for the first time, I'm the founder and chief investment officer at Capital Wealth Planning. And our goal here on the podcast is to engage with the best and brightest minds on Wall Street. Today, I am very excited to have my friend Clint Sorensen as our guest. Clint's the CIO of Wealth Shield. Uh, it's a firm that specializes in working with RIAs for their entire investment system. Uh, anyone in the independent space knows Clint. He's an author of Invest to Prosper, and he's also a very sound contributor to lots of industry platforms. Clint, I read you all the time in Forbes, Seeking Alpha, and especially on in the Resilient Advisor. So thank you so much for being here today. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Kevin. It's a pleasure. Uh, I'd like to just start right off, jump into it. You know, our audience are financial advisors primarily. I'd like to learn a little bit about your business. I'm sure we'll get into some fun stuff as well. But talk about the investment framework that you teach investment advisors. If you can walk us through it, I think that's you know why I wanted you on the program, and I think that's the perfect place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, it hit me a while back during this whole independent movement. You have advisors moving to independence, uh, staying at firms. They really needed uh, a narrative around why they made decisions. Because uh, you know, I had this common question I would ask advisors because the advisors would hire us typically when they moved to independence because they'd leave behind a lot of resources. They'd hire us to come help them almost from a practice management lens, revamp their whole entire investment process. Because it was kind of like a starting uh, over type mentality that like, hey, I need to like revamp everything if I'm going to really run this business right. And so we got to asking just questions around their process for asset allocation, security selection, you know, the macro thought processes, everything. And I started uh, coming to the conclusion that a majority of the advisors we work with just didn't have a process or, or couldn't communicate it effectively. If they couldn't communicate it to me, who was their friend, right? How are they communicating it to clients in a uh, competitive situation where they might be competing with a big name and a big brand? Uh, and so what we did was we uh, really just started articulating what we were doing in the form of a, a, a framework. Now, framework started with just two things. And you saw that in Invest to Prosper, uh, the book, which was value and momentum or value and trend following. We started combining those to help advisors just have a reason for what was going on in portfolios. So if a client's like, hey, why did you sell XYZ company? They would have a, a message, right, of why they were doing that. And then we added the business cycle and the Fed to that uh, in later times, because it was really important for advisors to be able to articulate what was going on in present day in the business cycle environment. Because of all the large cases I've done where we help advisors win big cases, so 10 million and up uh, opportunities, we would always, I would always lead with one question with the client. I would say, do you believe that the uh, business cycle or that the business cycles and that the business environment goes up, goes down, there's recessions, there's expansions, and everyone unequivocally would say yes. And getting that agreement off the, uh, off the gate was really important. And then being able to articulate how we made investment decisions based on where we were in a current environment was extremely helpful. And it, I used to say, I would, I could, uh, teach an advisor or work with an advisor to win business and really help their investment stuff with just the trend following piece. 
Uh, now I say that about the business cycle piece because it's so important. So we added that. And uh, so what we have is uh, four prongs, really it's three, but I separate out into four. And we communicate where we are in a given environment uh, through these four, you know, three lenses, if you will. Uh, and it's valuation. So where are we? Are we cheaper, expensive? We can do that uh, across countries. We stick pretty broadly in communication with advisors and then, and then i.e. them with their clients pretty broad on the valuation bucket. But we talk about valuations, what are expected returns, and then we go to uh, the business cycle in the Fed. And because valuations, as you know, Kevin, they last, you know, seven to 20 years, right? So who, who's got that time to, uh, to be wrong if you're, if you're on the wrong side of that? So we, we couple that with, uh, with what I'd call the business cycle in the Fed. And the reason why is because that's more of like a two to eight year um, horizon. And so it really matches up or meshes well with a longer term view. And essentially, we're just identifying where are we in the business cycle and is the Fed accommodative or tightening? And then lastly, we look at trends. So the market, you know, that's price action. Markets moving up, are they strong? Are they moving down in their week? And so when you, and that works up to about one year, right? In terms of academic letter, literature showing you that momentum works over about a one year period. And so when we look at those four things, right? Three, really three distinct things with four things on the dashboard, uh, we're able to help an advisor articulate a message to why a portfolio is positioned a certain way, why they might be more offensive and return seeking or why they may be, be uh, more risk mitigating. And it just gives them a nice framework for uh, articulating and making those decisions. And so that's really been our body of work. Uh, we've got another book coming out uh, this year, hopefully in the next three months called The Smooth Ride Portfolio. Uh, and it features all the academic evidence behind those, those things. That's a cool name for a book. I'll uh, pre-order it when we get off the podcast. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Let, let, let's dive in a little bit deeper to what you just talked about, because I think that's the framework of what makes financial advisors so drawn to your entire practice and philosophy. You know, trend following is starting to get more popular again, and there's certainly misconceptions that surround it. Can you talk about what it means to, to, to you, what it might mean to other people? And then how do you teach and explain it to financial advisors? Yeah, this is the most difficult subject um, because teaching it in, let's say, an academic setting where I educate you on what trend following is, which I'll do here in a second, versus teaching an advisor how to stick with it when it doesn't work, because by definition, it's not going to work, is two vastly different things. Uh, so as, that is my biggest challenge. And uh, it's also you know, my biggest source of excitement and kind of a mission, if you will, uh, is I really, I really do think it's one of the best ways to manage money hands down, uh, especially for an advisor, but it's very difficult for a retail client to absorb. Uh, and it's very difficult for an advisor when they've got the emotional response of their client who they love and care for. And then they've got the same emotional response because they're watching the market. It's not doing what they want it to do, right? Because they're so outcome biased. And then they got, so they have a double whammy. So the advisor ends up having this double whammy of emotion and that often creates bad behavior. So the key is really that educational component. And so the way I define trend following is buying what's strong. So when prices are moving up, I want to be long of that. And when prices are moving down, I want to be out of that or short of that in a pure uh, state. But in an advisory landscape, I always say out of that. I don't think you should be, the advisor should be actively shorting. They should hire a manager for that. But when you're looking at, uh, so how would I define going up, going down? It's very simple. Higher highs, higher, you know, higher highs and higher lows. Moving from the bottom left of the screen to the top right, that's an uptrend. 
uh, you know, in lower highs and lower lows is a negative trend. There's uh, several ways you can define it. One of the easiest, I think, is like the 200-day moving average. Moving averages are robust, meaning I can go from 50-day to 60-day, 70-day, 80-day, 100-day, 200-day, 300-day, and it, they all do the same thing to the distribution of returns. They cut out the big left tails, right? The big negative events. And you compound it about the rate of return of the market, right? You, get, you don't get all the upside and none of the down like most uh, clients and advisors want, but you, you do cut off those big <laughs> negative events. And I think that's very helpful to a portfolio for at least a portion. That's I mean, the, that's exactly how we do stock selection is taking a look at a, a, a lot of that. Uh, we, we tend to hold on to certain sectors by definition of being asset allocators across all sectors where there are certainly sometimes you wish you could be out of a position or short a position, but uh, don't always have that luxury. You, you hit on something maybe inadvertently that I want to get back to that you think is really important and maybe the crux of where we are with all this volatility. You know, it's easy to be a, an investor, a portfolio manager, a financial advisor, or even a client when stocks are going straight up like they seemingly did for a super cycle. But we get into the world that we're in today, which 2022 looks a lot different than 2021 and probably more like where we're headed um, for, 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 for a little bit at least. Behavioral finance and, and, um, and how that weighs into decisions. And you, you talk about how it's difficult to teach that and explain it. But I'm, I'm assuming that that's becoming a much bigger part of the practice management or practice education or evolution of financial advisors to kind of think through that emotional aspect of things. Any, um, you know, any, any points to touch on there for financial advisors to think about? Absolutely. I think it needs to be the foundation, right? Just like you would do a risk score to figure out where a client's risk tolerance or ability to take risk and willingness to take risk would lie. Um, we become way overly reliant on those type of things. We need to do the same thing on the behavioral side. And actually, I've worked with, uh, with Jay at the Resilient Advisor quite a bit throughout my career. And one of the areas we've worked with, uh, worked with him on was really kind of customizing a practice management approach around the behavioral aspects. And it started off very simple. We just want the client, uh, our client, the advisor, to identify whether their client's more emotional about money or more logical. And that might seem on a spectrum too simplistic, but I always try to keep it as simple as possible. And the reason why is because that gives you a lot of information. If they're more emotional about money, and those are the ones that tend to stick out a little more, uh, you're not going to educate them away from making bad decisions. You really have to adapt the portfolio to adhere to those emotions and that emotional state. And that's a one I think the big, the big gap we have from between practice and reality and pragmatism and academic literature is we still think that we can educate everyone by, by giving them reams of behavioral finance literature and telling them, hey, you're, you're, you know, you've got a, uh, you know, some sort of heuristic that you're following. Let's try to change that. Look, we're, we're innately loss versus human beings. We're emotional. Money activates that reward center of the brain. The amygdala is super involved in terms of fight or flight response. And those are, those are things that have been built for a long time in terms of our computing system in, in our brain. And so to all of a sudden think we can change that in people is uh, over like, you know, a span of a relationship in an, in an advisory client perspective. I don't think it is accurate. So what we try to do is figure out are they more emotional, more logical. If they're more emotional, we try to cater the portfolio more to that emotional client, meaning we know they're going to have 
uh, status quo bias. So they like to keep things the same, don't like a lot of change. So what I call hiding the diversification, we're going to use trend following, we're going to hide it in an ETF where all the changes happen within that structure or within a fund or a manager. Uh, they've got an aversion to ambiguity. They don't want to see things that they don't readily identify or recognize. And so, Kevin, this is great for like a portfolio for you, right? Being able to plug in an SMA or they see a bunch of names that they understand and have, have either bought their products or are used to, they will stick in that uh, despite kind of what people think in terms of about risk. They look at it a little differently. Then we know they're loss averse. So, uh, you know, they'll hold on to positions for a lot longer than they should. So really having it in a managed program where those losses are taken, like trend following or some mechanism for buying and selling things is super important. And to get that out away from them and really away from the advisor as fast as possible, in my opinion, is super helpful for that emotional type. And, and everybody always thinks they're emotional, they're conservative. That is absolutely not true. We have several advisors who really deal in that first generation wealth earner group. So they've, you know, they started a company, came from nothing, and they've had a liquidity event in the last three years. And they, you know, they made a lot of money by taking a lot of risk. And so they're what I call the emotional return seekers. Uh, they're almost as, <laughs> probably the most difficult to deal with because they want what went up yesterday. And so it's not more about return, you know, return of their capital. They're they're literally after doubles and triples. So that's a more difficult one to behave. But we always help with that because we'll say, hey, give them an account to play in. Give them a little sandbox account. It's not meaningful. Position size it well. And then try to get them to use mental accounting to compartmentalize the money. And that'll keep them in their seat a lot longer. And so we do see that, uh, that type of client a lot. But those are some of the ways that we work with and uh, work with their advisors to really try to pinpoint where their clients are behaviorally. But it changes. That's another thing. Just like risk changes based on recent information, that behavior changes too. So it needs updating. I was going to say from an updating standpoint, you go through 19, 20, and 21. Yeah, there was a major correction there in 2020, but everybody forgets about it. The mindset is from a risk perspective, a whole lot different when everything's going you know, straight up and you can throw a dart and make money versus in 2022, where you have to really think about investing and portfolio calling, you have to sell things, you know, if you like it or not. And, and a lot of what you described in the first person was like, you know, my mom, the familiarity, the status quo, the, the, the ability to understand what we own. And that second characteristic of the, the, the newly, you know, minted millionaire, multimillionaire, billionaire from the um, entrepreneurial side of things. Yeah, that's funny. And reminiscent of what 1999 looked like from the tech stocks and the dot-com stocks. It's very, very similar from an innovation standpoint last year, but maybe this is a good time for financial advisors to go out to their clients and do that behavioral assessment again, because nobody cares about risk if it's up. They only care about risk when things are down. And that's our nature. That's not we're just as guilty of that, I'm sure, as uh, as professionals. But we have some stop gaps and rules and things to put in place to help separate the emotions from what we actually do with our money. And that's, I mean, that's a big step. You know, it's hard to know when to sell. It's hard to know when to buy. And so often it's counterintuitive. And I love the momentum trades. But for for the the risk seeker, to your point, they want you know what was going up yesterday for whatever reason, as opposed to what's trending up because of, you know, true, true momentum and, um, and trend following. So neat, neat stuff. And yeah, much more relevant today than it's been. Oh, it has been. Right. And I think another thing is the Fed doesn't have your back now, or at least for right now. Right. I mean, they don't have your back and you got to think every time we've had risk, why over since the global financial crisis, 
we every major drawdown, so I'm calling it 15% or more in the S&P, has been met with stimulus, whether it's stimulus through, you know, uh, you know, a foreign entity like we saw in 2016, for instance, when you end up, you know, yelling paused rate hikes, but then you had the ECB, you move to negative rates, start buying high yield bonds. You have the Bank of Japan buying stocks or ETFs, right? And buying bonds hand over fist. And you had the Swiss National Bank buying our top five holdings in the S&P. So you had, you've had every single correction since the global financial crisis met with stimulus. And so you get this recency bias that, oh, I don't need to manage risk, right? And then now we've got this way different environment where the Fed's saying, hey, we woke up, chose violence. We're going to break some things because we've got to get inflation under control. And that's a debate whether they can or can. I'm not going to argue that today. But what I will say is it's a very different Fed than we've had since the global financial crisis in that this is one intent on uh, on tightening into a slowing economy. And that presents challenges, at least historically, for markets. And so the need for risk management is critical here, but you've been penalized for having risk management over the last 10 plus years. So it's going to be Really, I think it's the greatest time to be a financial advisor because of that, because the advisor that's out there working with their client, intimately understanding their behavior, right, catering the portfolio to them, active, ahead of the, kind of ahead of the curve, ahead of this, uh, I think it's just going to, going to dominate when you, when you look forward five to 10 years from now, whereas, yeah, the advisors have been complacent and kind of just riding things, they, uh, and haven't spent the time with their clients, I think it could be a, a big challenge. So I think it's a great opportunity to be an advisor. Kind of wish I was one. It's the most noble profession when things are volatile. I mean, you can really, really help people. And the, you know, the idea of the death of the active manager, I think that may have been a little premature. And even though you had a decade where indexing made sense and it worked, I mean, that, that's, that trade is over. And if you're <laughs> a financial advisor today, especially working with you, I mean, my gosh, there's so much good that you can do. And I'm uh, and like you, I'm just motivated and excited. And, and this isn't going away tomorrow. There is no white knight fed. It's not happening. And you, whether, whether they can navigate this or not, it's a debate for another time. But what there is no debate about, to your point, is they're not backing up the truck and saving anybody. They're raising rates with blinders on and, uh, and, and the markets will need to get used to that and react accordingly. Yeah, because if you look at this today situation, from our, I'm just going to do it through, through our framework perspective. We have high valuations, so low forward expected returns for the S&P, uh, lower than average. We have, and again, seven to 20 years. We have a business cycle that's slowing. And according to, we have a, a proprietary leading index, but you could use ECRI or conference board. You can see that slowing all below the six-month moving average. ECRI is negative on a year-over-year basis. Ours is negative on a year-over-year basis. So we've gone quickly from this, as good as it gets growth last year, to a slowdown and now we're in an economic contraction. I'm not defining recession, that's the National Bureau of Economic Research's job, not mine, but I will say we're in a contraction, meaning growth is, is actually negative now on a year-over-year -year basis according to leading indicators, not GDP, just our leading indicators. So I just wanna be clear, I'm not saying we're in a recession. Uh, but when you look at that environment, historically the Fed's eased when you've had uh, negative trends in the stock market, the stock market's already corrected 20%, and you've had a gross slowing to this degree, the Fed has typically been accommodative. Key has been that inflation number, right? Which is very difficult to work around. Uh, they haven't seen it slow. It's continuing to move higher uh, if you look at CPI. And so they kind of have their feet to the fire here trying to manage out of this very difficult box because they traditionally eased here to kind of bail everyone out. And now they can't do it because inflation hadn't peaked. And so it's going to be 
that that's why when uh, Chairman Powell said softish, I was thinking, yeah, that's probably not a bad term for what you have to try to orchestrate here because it's going to be extremely difficult. They've got the I pick on them all the time. But they have the hardest job in the world. Um, and uh, I would not want to be in their seat today because, Kevin, to your point, it's just it, it, I hate these words, but it is different this time. If you look at the most recent uh, Fed and market and economy relationship, the Fed is typically eased at a point like today. And I actually tweeted that out the other day. I said, if you understand that the Fed should be easing here, not tightening, and that's a big change, big regime change. Yeah, and they can't. So I'll say it. We're in a recession. The National Bureau of Economic Statistics won't tell us until after the fact anyway. So, <laughs> that's right. That's uh, right. When, when they can define what it is beyond just uh, two quarters of a decelerating GDP. And I know that's not just it because I read all their stuff to, to, to validate you know, the existence of, uh, of, of their st- you know, statistical analysis. But it's always funny that they're not going to tell us until after the fact anyway. So we, oh, yeah. you, by the time you find out, it's, you're, it's over. Yeah. 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 So don't be a seller at that point, I guess, is the message. No, no. And I, always, I said that too the other day on, on, I think it was on LinkedIn or something, but someone is talking about a recession. It's like, why are we so obsessed with this? This has nothing to do with how you manage portfolios. Now, growth slowing does, right? Un- recognizing that we are in a slowing growth regime, recognizing that trends are declining, recognizing these things in real time. It's just a part of paying attention, understanding where we are today, trying to stay in that present reality as much as possible when you're managing money, I think is super important, but try to forecast when, you know, someone's going to declare us a recession or not. It's just, it is a waste of, of mental space. Unless you're a market timer. Exactly. We, we all know, we all know countless really great yeah. smart market timers. Yeah. Good luck with picking tops and bottoms. I don't know if uh, anyone can do that successfully. No, no one can. That's why I, was, I always try to joke about it. Well, we, we're, we're up against our time, and I'm so glad that uh, you came on. Now, you're going to have to come back again, Clint, at some point, because we never got to talk about Honky Tonk, Michael Jackson, or WCW wrestling. So I'm going to leave those just as hanging chads out there for everyone to tune in on the next show. Any, any last words for our financial advisor audience or even the retail folks that are starting to pick up the show? Yeah, yeah be, be active, right? I, I don't believe in this whole active-passive. All investing is active and should be active. There is no such thing as passive investing, right? You're, I mean, it just doesn't exist. So all investing is active. I think now is the time to be focused on managing risk, right? Being in tune with where the economy, where the market is, where everything is, and just pay attention. And if you're an advisor, this is, in my opinion, the best opportunity I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, in this industry to be an advisor, go out there, be active, uh, help people. You have a noble profession and people do rely on you. And again, our mission is to maximize the, uh, the positive impact on the end client through the advisor. Advisors, you're, you're directly with that end client. So these people count on you and go out there and, and continue to do a great job and, and realize that this is just an awesome opportunity for you. If you have an interest in learning more about WealthShield, please give Clint a call. He's a great person. Uh, smart person, as you've seen here today, and uh, and a heck of a lot of fun off camera. So thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week and uh, hang in there. Things will get better. This message does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase securities through CWP Advisory Services. Investments are not guaranteed and involves risk of loss. 
The views and opinions expressed in this message are those of investment professionals made at the time this content was recorded, are not necessarily the views and opinions of CWP, and may change in time without notification. For additional information about CWP, visit CWP's or the SEC's website for a copy of our ADV Disclosure Brochure and Form CRS.